Welcome back to another podcast episode of Veteran Oversight Now, the official podcast of the VA Office of Inspector General. I'm your host, Fred Baker. Each month on this podcast, we'll bring you the highlights of the VAOIG's recent oversight activities and interview key stakeholders in the office's critical work for veterans. Today, we're excited to have a guest host here to discuss a very important topic for VA and veterans receiving VA healthcare, the Electronic Health Record Modernization Program. The VAOIG last week released three reports detailing deficiencies following the 2020 implementation of the new Electronic Health Record at the Mann Grand Staff VA Medical Center in Spokane, Washington. With me today is VA Deputy Inspector General Dave Case. He has worked closely with the teams as they have developed these and other oversight reports on this topic for the past couple of years. He's interviewing one of the lead authors of these most recent reports, Dr. Joe Etheridge. Dr. Etheridge is a a psychologist and works in the OIG's Office of Healthcare Inspections, where he serves as the Director of National Reporting. With those introductions, I'll turn it over to our guest host. Welcome, Deputy Inspector General Dave Case. Thank you, Fred. Joe, can you describe the reports that were recently published on the implementation of the new electronic health record at the Mann Grand Staff facility? Certainly. Uh, thank you, Mr. Case. And thanks for the opportunity to connect and review our trilogy of recently published reports addressing these multiple concerns with VA's new electronic health record, or EHR. So multiple folks contacted our OIG hotline and raised alarms with the EHR. Following the go live of that EHR at Mann Grand Staff VA Medical Center in Spokane, Washington. Congressional members also relayed multiple concerns raised by their constituents. Now, I understand two healthcare inspections were performed, addressing a total of 57 allegations. How were the 57 allegations selected? So uh, we did conduct those two healthcare inspections, uh, each team covering a topic from those 57 allegations. We got to the 57 allegations by reviewing those concerns that were raised uh, through the OIG hotline and then also through constituents that had, con- that had contacted their congressional members. And then uh, from there generated those 57 allegations. Sometimes uh, we would have repeats of concerns. And so in that case, those, um, those similar concerns would be uh, put together until we um, reviewed and came up with that final set of 57 allegations. Now, I understand one inspection team uh, focused on medication management allegations, and another team uh, investigated care coordination allegations. Now, I understand medication management to include all the elements of patient care that concern use of the EHR for safe medication treatment. That would include tracking and managing lists of patients' medications, ordering medications, and getting medications to patients timely. So what is addressed under the topic of coordination of care? So coordination of care is this very broad term that wound up incorporating an expansive list of allegations. But at the end of the day, care coordination is about how we synchronize care, um, the communication of of healthcare between healthcare providers and then also between healthcare providers and the patient. All right, so that's the second report uh, on care coordination. What's the third report in this trilogy of reports on VA's new electronic health record? 
So during the course of our two inspections, as those teams uh, did their work, we identified some challenges with the ticket process. So when I say ticket process, I mean the process that users that were using the new EHR would use to request help, either for a, a, a fix or a change to the EHR. So in addition to looking at uh, and identifying concerns for the ticket process, we also found that by identifying underlying factors to that large group of allegations, it helped us to further understanding, uh, help, helped further our understanding of, of the allegations. So as a result, we completed a third report that discussed those two key issues. First, what were the challenges to the ticket process? And then second, what were, the, what were those underlying factors for the 57 allegations? So for the trilogy, there were a total of six recommendations uh, to Veterans Affairs. All of these recommendations were directed to the Deputy Secretary. Why were they directed to the Deputy Secretary? Two reasons. So first, Congress has made that office, the Office of the Deputy Secretary, the accountable official for the VA's EHR modernization effort. Second, we found that during our inspection work that these issues were systemic. It, it, they weren't tied specifically to Spokane, and therefore our recommendations should go to the Deputy Secretary. Well, now, once the determination of allegations was completed in June of 2021, was there a determination of whether the allegations were substantiated or not? There, there was. And I think that brings up an important point. So when VA responded to our trilogy in early March of 2022, nearly a year and a half following Go Live, VA stated that it had coordinated to address only three of the 21 substantiated and unresolved allegations cited in the medication management report and only five of the 16 substantiated and unresolved allegations in the clinical coordination report. Bottom line is that the allegations we found as substantiated and unresolved largely remained unresolved as we record this today. Now, what was done to investigate these allegations? I think it's an important point to emphasize the efforts we go to accurately understand and evaluate allegations. The inspection teams from January to August 2021 conducted more than 30 interviews, ranging from the frontline staff there at Mann Grand Staff VA Medical Center to senior leaders in VA's Office of Electronic Health Record Modernization. We also gained access to the EHR problem ticket system and analyzed trouble tickets. The analysis included tickets from VA and Cerner from Go Live through March 31st, 2021, new EHR end users placed over 38,700 tickets. To better understand the allegations, we identified some key terms for each of those 57 allegations, and then two healthcare inspectors checked and cross-checked 4,094 tickets that we identified through our keyword search. Our reports focused on tickets related to the allegations. We did not attempt to address all the concerns with the new EHR identified by facility staff. Now, as part of this process, uh, were you and your staff uh, working on this able to visit the Mangrand staff facility? Uh, I'd like to add that 
Some members of the inspection team have been involved in oversight work for EHR modernization now for a number of years. Prior to the pandemic, we had made visits to the Mann Grand Staff VA Medical Center in Spokane, Washington. And then in January 2021, our Deputy Assistant Inspector General visited Mann's Grand Staff at the invitation of the former Acting Undersecretary of Health, Dr. Stone. And I think this is an important, a really important point. We found that facility leaders and staff remain undeterred and dedicated to taking care of patients despite the added burden of COVID-19 pandemic stressors and the challenges with the new EHR. Now, the first report on medication management addressed uh, 23 allegations. Did these allegations break down into more general categories? They did. In the report, we grouped those allegations into three categories. The first was data migration, the second medication orders, and then finally the third medication reconciliation. An example of the data migration category was an allegation we substantiated that found that when healthcare providers prescribed a medication, they could be presented with a long list of options for just one medication, but that a bunch of those medications might not, might not, might not even be available to the facility. Now, in reviewing the report, I see the uh, report has a screenshot of this list of medications. Uh, but can you describe the challenge this long list of medications creates? I can. So imagine you're at a restaurant and the menu includes 50 listings for cheese pizza. Some, version have, some versions of the, of the cheese pizza have 12 slices. Some might have 10, but they're all very, very similar. You're not sure which one to choose and you make your order. However, it turns out that you've ordered a version of the cheese pizza that the restaurant doesn't even have. That's one of the challenges healthcare providers faced with prescribing. Now, how is it that uh, you can uh, have something on the menu, one cheese pizza, but it's not available? It's a good question. And, and it comes down to, at the end of the day, a menu that isn't accurate, a list of medications that doesn't accurately reflect what's available at the facility. And that's one of the, one of the challenges that our prescribers there at Mangrand staff based. So tell me uh, how many of the uh, allegations on data migration were substantiated? So we substantiated all four allegations that were related to data migration, and we found that all were unresolved at the time of our inspection. For the medication orders category, we substantiated 10 of the 12 medication order allegations, and again, found that they were all unresolved at the time of our inspection. An example, would be the finding that, that nurses were able to order medications without the medication orders being reviewed and approved by the medical provider. That third category, medication reconciliation, uh, I, I think deserves a little bit, little bit of a preface to better understand what we're talking about. So a healthcare team reconciles the list of a patient's medications to ensure the team and the patient have an accurate accounting of, of medications a patient's prescribed. It was alleged that medications disappeared from the re reconciled medication list, and medication lists were inaccurate following reconciliation. We wound up substantiating all seven of those medication reconciliation allegations, and again found they were all unresolved at the time of our inspection. Well, to me, the bottom line is that you found that 21 of the allegations concerning medication management were substantiated but unresolved. How did those 21 substantiated but unresolved allegations translate into the two recommendations for our medication management report? 
So one recommendation was the same for this report as, as well as the care coordination report that we'll, we'll uh, cover next. We made a rec recommendation that the VA Deputy Secretary ensure that, that those substantiated and unresolved allegations be reviewed and then addressed. And VA concurred with that recommendation for both of the reports. Now, to follow along here, I understand that the second recommendation in the medication management report was that the Deputy Secretary ensure medication management issues related to the new electronic health record that are identified after the inspection be reported to the Office of Inspector General for further analysis. Yes, that's it. It was a first for me in my work in the OIG, but VA did not concur with this recommendation. Now, to me, VA's decision to non-concur with this recommendation raises real issues. First, it's not an open-ended recommendation. It would be closed when VA demonstrates that there is an effective, sustainable process to identify and address patient safety concerns. In addition, the VA is just slamming the door on one avenue of continued discussion about the new electronic health record. With regard to this non-concur, what actions will the OIG take in response? Well, we are going to continue to vigorously pursue patient safety issues identified with the new EHR. As veterans ourselves, I think we're especially sensitive to the role of oversight in ensuring quality and safe health care at the VA. For the second report on clinical coordination, there were eight categories of allegations. What issues were addressed by the OIG? Right. So, yeah, eight, eight categories, a, a larger number than that first uh, medication report. This second inspection covered a broad range of concerns. I have an example of a challenge with care coordination. So the, the new EHR also has a new patient portal. So we learned that following Go Live, the facility's coordinator for the new portal reported a backlog of over 300 voicemail messages from patients requesting help due to being unable to access the new EHR's patient portal. To give you a sense of what this means, a call with a patient to help out could be an hour long. Now, the patient portal was one category of care coordination concerns. Another allegation category included data migration. Can you describe in this context what, uh, what that means here? Yes. So we saw the DOD system overwrite VA data, which led to incorrect names, sometimes genders, and contact information in the new EHR for some patients. So imagine that you're in the waiting room for an appointment and you've, you've been called back, but the name from your divorce years ago is used and you're told that you're going to have to now find your divorce paperwork and work to have your information fixed. Well, this example uh, certainly illustrates some of the frustrations caused by the data migration issue. What other categories of issues were addressed in the care coordination report? So other categories include included patient risk flags, uh, or excuse me, patient record flags. So for example, a flag in the system that let, lets the healthcare team know that a patient might be at risk for suicide. All six of those allegations were substantiated. We also substantiated five of nine allegations related to scheduling problems, three of five allegations with documentation, three of four lab orders allegations, and three of four allegations with referrals, like when your primary care doctor refers you to a specialist. 
three of five allegations with telehealth problems were also substantiated. We also found that many of these substantiated allegations had not been resolved. You shared that the third report addressed problems with the ticket process and identified underlying factors across allegations. How did this third report develop? So as part of our effort to review the allegations, we gained access to the ticket system and then conducted a review that was reviewed and cross-checked by two of our healthcare inspectors. Well, how many tickets were reviewed? Over 4,000 tickets. I did not envy our folks that took on that massive task, but they did an excellent job and it helped us to better understand many of the allegations and also to understand the challenges man grant staff faced when they sought help for a change or a fix to the new EHR. We identified four challenges with the ticket process. The two that I'd like to point out are, first, we found that a frequent concern was that the loop didn't get closed. There was a problem with end users consistently getting a status back on their tickets. Second, we learned that many users got what I'd call ticket fatigue from placing so many tickets and then wound up creating workarounds for their problems instead of placing tickets. By creating workarounds, does that present any uh, potential or risk to impact safety? It, it does. We, we know that can be the case with workarounds because while well-intentioned, workarounds can also introduce opportunities for mistakes to be made. And then in the third report, the teams identified five factors underlying the allegations from both reports. Uh, can you elaborate on that a bit? I can. So we did. By going back and reviewing the allegations, we found five factors which we believe helped to better understand the concerns with the new EHR that we addressed in those first two reports. Those five factors were, first, EHR usability problems. Uh, some examples of this was were that um, information sometimes could be segregated, kind of split across different screens. Uh, users could have significant difficulties with navigating uh, around the EHR. And we also found that because of restrictions to what people could view based on their role they'd been assigned in the EHR, that could also create usability problems. The second category uh, that we identified were interoperability challenges. And this included problems with correcting data errors or inconsistencies, uh, challenges with the mail order pharmacy, and then also the connection between the new EHR and reporting tools that already existed. Uh, a good example of this would be a tool that uh, suicide, suicide prevention coordinators use uh, to help monitor and support patients again uh, at risk for suicide. The third factor was uh, post-go-live fix and refinement needs. And this is something we would expect. A new EHR uh, brings new challenges and some things that are going to need to get fixed. And so we did find that um, that was certainly the case uh, with the new EHR at Grand staff, that there were uh, multiple allegations that were tied to needed fixes there at go live, following go-live. The fourth category uh, is what we refer to as problem resolution process challenges. And this is really that ticket process um, problem that we've talked about prior. And then the final category is training deficits. And this included um, 
training content that we found lacking, a lack of direct support to staff, and then an approach to training that was referred to as buttonology, this idea that people would be told what buttons to press in certain orders, but really not understand the reasons why and the understanding and understanding the process behind the work that they were doing in the new EHR. So the last general area you just discussed was these uh, deficits in training for the new EHR. Uh, is that a topic that has been covered in detail in prior OIG reports? It is. It is. So we we do have a prior report that that goes into much greater detail talking about the training deficits that we identified uh, for the new EHR. So this final uh, report, are there particular recommendations that were made to the Deputy Secretary? Yes, again, the, the recommendations did go to the Deputy Secretary and we made three of them. Those three recommendations were that first, uh, we recommended that the Deputy Secretary complete an evaluation of those challenges with resolving problems that have been identified through tickets and then take action to address what's found from that evaluation. The second recommendation is that the Deputy Secretary uh, oversee completion of an evaluation of those underlying factors we identified. And then again, following that evaluation, take action based on those findings. And then finally, we recommended that the Electronic Health Record Modernization Deployment Schedule reflect resolution of the allegations and concerns that we identified across these three reports. One final question here, Joe. Uh, given the scope and breadth of these three reports and uh, the findings and then recommendations, is it safe for a veteran to go to the man grant staff facility? So yes, yes I would. And the reason why comes down to the people. So as a, as a individual who receives his care through the VA, I consistently am impressed by the dedication and the quality of care that I receive from the, the folks that, that work at the VA. And so for that reason, I know that despite some of the challenges that we've identified through this report, that the, the, the people Working at VA facilities are going to ensure and do their best to uh, make sure that I and, and other veterans receive quality, safe care. Well, that's uh, really much appreciated. Um, so thanks, Joe. This has been a really helpful discussion, I think. And uh, for everyone, these three reports are now available through our OIG website. And uh, folks should know that the OIG podcasts are produced by OIG staff. You'll find other OIG podcasts in the media section of our website. Well, thanks again to Deputy Inspector General Dave Case and Dr. Joe Etheridge for being willing to come on the podcast. I hope you found it interesting and informative. With that, I'll turn the podcast over to co-host Adam Roy, who will highlight some of our more meaningful oversight work completed in February. Take it, Adam. Thanks, Fred. Here's some of the VA OIG's highlighted work for February 2022. If you want to read all of monthly highlights for February, check them out on our website. Uh, go to the homepage, select the Publications tab, and click on Monthly Highlights. I'm going to start with some congressional testimony. On February 3rd, Dr. Julie Korviak, our Deputy Assistant General for Healthcare Inspections, 
Uh, she testified before the House Veteran Affairs Subcommittee on Health. The, her testimony focused on the findings and recommendations from the OIG's five published vet center inspection reports. These reports identified a need for continued VA leadership engagement at all levels and greater attention to training, internal controls, and oversight. In response to questions, Dr. Kurviak discussed the need for better documentation of vet center processes and an improved record-keeping system. The uh, Vet Center Inspection Program is a relatively new program to the VAOIG, and Dr. Korviak actually uh, joined us recently on Veteran Oversight Now, our official podcast, where she discussed uh, the Vet Center Inspection Program, often called VSIP. In the episode, host Fred Baker and Dr. Jo- Dr. Korviak discuss her journey from medical student to VA doctor to leading teams conducting oversight of VHA. She introduces the new VSIP program, detailing how the VA OIG will inspect roughly 300 vet centers over the next few years. It's an interesting episode. I encourage you to listen to it and check it out. You can find it on our website under the media tab. I'm now going to share a few updates to investigations our agents pursued. Uh, In the first, as a result of a joint investigation by multiple federal agencies, including our very own VA OIG Northeast and Northwestern Field Office, Government contractor Trimark USA agreed to pay a record $48.5 million settlement to resolve claims related to fraudulent procurement of small business contracts intended for service-disabled veterans. The company, based in Mansfield, Massachusetts, provides kitchen and food service equipment to federal customers. This settlement constitutes the largest ever False Claims Act recovery based on allegations of small business contracting fraud. Job well done, VAOIG investigators. So some background here. Between 2011 and 2021, Trimart identified federal set-aside contract opportunities for small businesses to bid on using their set-aside status. They helped them prepare their bids, helped set prices to propose, even ghost wrote emails for those companies to send to government officials to make it appear as though the small businesses were performing the work. And they also concealed their involvement in the contract. To quote VA Inspector General Michael Missel, The Department of Veteran Affairs Office of Inspector General is committed to identifying and stopping those individuals who misappropriate an opportunity meant solely for our nation's veterans with disabilities. We appreciate the exhaustive efforts of our law enforcement partners and both U.S. Attorney offices in this collaborative effort. Here's another case update. A New Jersey man pleaded guilty for his role in a health care fraud scheme. From 2014 through 2016, he conspired to commit health care fraud against the government by unnecessarily prescribing and billing for compound medication through a VA vendor and a co-conspirator pharmacy. The pharmacy received over $8 million in reimbursements through federal health care programs. In a third case, a veteran pleaded guilty to assault with a deadly weapon. The VA OIG and Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department investigated that on multiple occasions, this veteran threatened to kill himself and VA employees during calls to the VA hotline, White House VA hotline, and VA crisis line. On one occasion, the veteran said he possessed weapons, had the knowledge to build chemical weapons, and established a timeline to start killing people. In another case, the owner of a telemarketing company, as well as multiple durable medical equipment supply companies, was sentenced in the Middle District of Florida to 15 years in prison for his role in two consecutive conspiracies to commit health care fraud. Beginning around January 18th to around April 2019, the defendant and his co-conspirators generated medically unnecessary physician orders via a telemarketing operation for durable medical equipment. 
Now, to avoid scrutiny, the defendant spread the fraudulent claims across five storefronts operated under his ownership and control. This scheme led to about $25 million in fraudulent claims submitted to Medicare, resulting in approximately $12 million in payments. Then in April 2019, the storefronts were subject to search warrants and a civil action under which, among other ramifications, ordered the defendant and his five storefronts from engaging in any further healthcare fraud conduct. Undeterred, he and other conspirators carried out a similar conspiracy using three new storefronts and different telemedicine vendors. This second conspiracy caused approximately $12 million in additional fraudulent claims to be submitted to Medicare, resulting in approximately $6.3 million in payments. And finally, in another case, a veteran received 12 months in prison and three years of supervised release after previously pleading guilty to influencing, impeding, or retaliating against a federal employee by threatening a family member. A VA OIG investigation determined that the veteran sent a threatening text message to his VA social worker's government-issued cell phone after he was discharged from the government-provided housing. The veteran threatened to kill the social worker's family members because he blamed the social workers for his removal from the program. Now to publish reports. In February, the VA OIG Office of Audits and Evaluations published an independent review of VA's Special Disabilities Capacity Report for fiscal year 2020. Some background. Every year, VA must report to Congress on its capacity in five areas. One, spinal cord injuries and disorders. Two, traumatic brain injury. Three, blindness. Four, prosthetics. And five, mental health issues. The requirement was established to ensure that VA's capacity to serve disabled veterans does not fall below 1996 levels. In turn, the VA OIG is also required to report to Congress on the accuracy of this VA report. Our review team identified some minor errors, inaccuracies, and inconsistencies which persisted from the fiscal year 2019 report. However, nothing came to the review team's attention that would lead the OIG to believe the information in the fiscal year 2020 capacity report was not otherwise fairly stated and accurate. VA officials reported that they will address the errors, such as those related to reporting data on discrete intensive care teams for veterans with serious mental illness, in future capacity reports. It was also noted that VA officials were unable to correct the fiscal year 2020 report in response to the errors the OIG identified in its review of the fiscal year 2019 report because VA submitted its 2020 report before the OIG issued its review of VA's fiscal year 2019 report. Some key report takeaways here include, and I'm quoting from the report, VA does not and cannot meet the requirements to compare its mental health capacity with 1996 levels because of changes in medical diagnoses, treatments, treatment settings, infrastructure, information technology, data systems, and terminology. Furthermore, even if VA could compare capacity to 1996 levels, such reporting would not provide Congress with assurance that VA's capacity is adequate to provide care to these high-risk veterans. The OIG believes that Congress would be better informed by modernizing the reporting metrics to assess VA's capacity to provide care for veterans with spinal cord injuries and disorders, traumatic brain injuries, blindness or mental illness, and those who need prosthetics and sensory aids. Find the full report on our website. In a second report, the VA OIG conducted a healthcare inspection at the Martinsburg VA Medical Center in West Virginia. This report assessed two allegations. One, failure to schedule a care in the community COVID Priority 1 cardiology consult within VHA requirements. And two, delays in consult scheduling caused by inadequate staffing. The OIG substantiated both of these allegations. Specifically, the report outlines that staff did not schedule the consult within 30 days, 
However, the patient did not experience an adverse clinical outcome based on the delay. The patient's cardiology consult was among a backlog of nearly 4,000 consults in an active, unscheduled status. Several factors contributed to the backlog and mismanagement of the consult process. Taken from the report, and I'll quote here, the facility consistently failed to meet 90% of active consults scheduled within 30 days, one of the national metrics used to help manage care in the community consults. Despite failing to meet this metric, the facility did not have an improvement action plan in place as required by the Office of Community Care. In addition, staff lacked awareness and did not make use of available reports to track and manage consults. The report further detailed that in response to the increased volume of consults and high demands to schedule appointments urgently, the facility created several workarounds in an attempt to meet expectations. These workarounds, which included the misuse of COVID priority one designation and the use of unstandardized guidelines, created more confusion with an already complicated process. Inadequate staffing with the care in the community service caused scheduling delays as well. The VAOIG found that facility had frequent staff turnover, which may have been attributed to the lack of appropriate training and lack of alternative work options during the pandemic. The OIG made eight recommendations. Find this report and others on our website. That's it for February's highlights. This has been an official podcast of the VA Office of Inspector General. Veteran Oversight Now is produced by the Office of Communications and Public Affairs and is available at va.gov forward slash OIG. Tune in monthly to hear how the VA OIG serves veterans, their families, and caregivers through meaningful, independent oversight. Check out the website for more on the VA OIG oversight mission. Read current reports and keep up to date on the latest criminal investigations. Report potential crimes related to VA, waste or mismanagement, potential violations of laws, rules, or regulations, or risks to patients, employees, or property to the OIG online. Or call the hotline at 1-800-488-8244. If you are a veteran in crisis or concerned about one, call the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255. Press 1 and speak with a qualified responder now.